0: Consider the following and some of the results you will hardly believe. What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Teacher Turn Alchemist podcast. My name is Lydia. Wherever you're listening from today, whether this is your very first time listening in or even listening to me from the very beginning, I just want to extend a huge welcome. I'm so glad that you're here joining in today and to be quite frank, I'm glad that I made it today too. <laughs> it has been a little while since I've jumped on and I couldn't be more excited to update you with some things that are going on and connect with you. If this is your first time joining in, this podcast is essentially what I deem my verbal journal, documenting my transition from being a public school teacher to now being a commercial kombucha brewer. I used to say becoming a commercial kombucha brewer. And honestly, I feel like that is now my role and I'm really happy to say it. Like I definitely am brewing commercially now. And my eventual goal is to open what I deem an inclusive kombucha tap room in my community. I'm located in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And people always ask me, well what does inclusive tap room mean? I used to be, when I was teaching, a special education teacher to adults with disabilities in a transition program. And so my role was to teach vocational skills and independent living skills. And I loved my job. It was wonderful. I I loved all the people that I worked alongside. But it was time for a change. But I still loved the work that I did. But just kind of, let's be real, the politics of public school, I was kind of done with. And so I was trying to find a way that I could still stay basically in this transition type of work. I really enjoyed it, but I was also developing a lot of my health and wellness. I was brewing some kombucha at my house and I was really loving the way that I felt and sharing it with others. And I thought, you know, why don't I try to put the two together? So I left my public school job probably five years too early, but I just jumped in, left and tried to pursue this full time. And I would like to create a tap room that would be a workplace, equal opportunities, and provide job training to adults with disabilities. But the thing is I'm not really big about inspired and you know, showcasing them a non-for-profit. That's a whole nother episode for another day. But it is evident that adults with disabilities do not have enough job opportunities. And I want to create a workplace and an environment that will include everyone in the decision making processes and be a role model to the community, but not in the inspired tokenism type of way, if you get my drift. But that is my goal, and that's what inclusive means to me. And I'm definitely on that road. I am so excited about where this is going. Right now, it is just me. I don't have employees right now, I don't have a place that I call my own. I'm sharing a commercial space in a brewery, which is a huge step from where I was before. But although I don't have employees and it is just me, I truly feel like this is becoming a we venture. And by we, I mean that so many people around my area and people who listen to the podcast and everything, it, we're creating this community. And even though there isn't a room established yet, I definitely feel there's a lot of momentum going with people trying the products and sharing our mission and what we're trying to do. So I'm pumped with where we're at. And with that, I'm going to share what I'm drinking today. In every episode, I usually share what I'm sipping on. Sometimes it is my products or if I'm working on a new flavor, I talk about it. Other times, it is beverages that people share with me. And before I share with you what I am drinking right now, I wanted to share a little update from last time's episode. Last time's episode, I actually had two different types of drinks from two different people. It was really fun to try. And I had tried a product called Ars Koso, K-O-S-O. It's a Japanese enzyme fermented concentrate drink that you mix into beverages It contains prebiotics, postbiotics, probiotics, all the things, and I had tried it blind on the podcast, and I shared with you guys that I would update you on how I am feeling after drinking it regularly, and so I drank the rest of the bottle, and I'm feeling really good. I actually misspoke, too, because on my last episode, I shared that the serving size was a quarter cup that you would mix of the COSO in with, uh, or I'm sorry, half of an ounce in with a quarter cup. But it's actually recommended that you have one ounce of Ars Coso with a half cup of water. And so I actually finished out doing that serving size. And I felt really good. Like I said, it has lots of prebiotics, postbiotics, probiotics. I already feel like my gut is very well taken care of with all the kombucha that I drink and other fermented beverages and fermented items that I eat. However, I did feel like the Ars Koso uh, felt really good in my body. I don't have any complaints or negative things to say about it. And I'd love to hear if you guys would try it out if you are interested. I actually got a little discount code if you are interested in trying it for yourself uh, they have a 10% off code if you use LFK10 at checkout. Again, Ars Coso. So yeah, I thought that was really cool. And again, thank you Ars Coso, for allowing me to try your product and to share on the podcast. But getting back to what I am sipping on today, you guys are getting a little firsthand peek into a new brew that I am doing a new flavor. And I thought that would be appropriate for today's episode because I am going to be talking about my flavoring and my process and how I come up with different flavors. And so I thought it'd be appropriate if I share with you that I'm working on one and I'm really close to finalizing it. So this actually has, I've been wanting to work with a tea blend. My other brews use fruit juices to flavor and this one I wanted to try to use different tea blends so what I did was I used rose hip hibiscus and elderberry I feel like elderberry gets its own special voice elderberry you just feel so good When you try it, say it. It's like the king of herbs, I feel like, right now. Everyone talks about it during the season. <laughs> yeah, so I combined all those together in like a one-gallon glass jar, and I've been playing around with the ratios on like how much elderberry, how much hibiscus, and the rose hip and so far i'm enjoying the flavor but i feel like it'll change a little bit once i carbonate it now i know there's a lot of fellow brewers that listen to this podcast and i force carbonate my kombucha i feel like that helps keep things consistent in regards to alcohol testing and alcohol levels i'm excited to taste this when it's carbonated so right now what i'm sipping on is not carbonated and i just feel like it could be amplified just a little bit more if i carbonate it so i'm excited to get that finalized product which right now I have it in one of my large fermenters. And then I will change that over to a keg and carb it. So like right now, I feel like the elderberry is really coming through, but I would like the hibiscus to kind of play up a little bit more. And I feel like that's a great transition into today's episode because I just wanted to explain to you kind of what I go through and thinking about how I come up with flavors and how I personally flavor I want to be an open book, and I know that there are lots of different techniques and different ways to brew and especially flavor. And I recognize that my way isn't the right way and only way. In fact, I've made so many different pivots in my flavoring processes that. I don't know. I, I'm just an open book and I, I hope that especially my fellow brewers who are listening into these episodes um, that you can understand that I'm just here to share my experiences but I would love to hear what you do for flavoring for you. I think that's just such a cool thing and I love that the kombucha brewing world, most people that I've talked to so far has been extremely welcoming and not afraid to share some of their processes which I'm sorry is processes is the wrong way to say it. Hopefully that doesn't bother them not saying processes <laughs> but again, I'm just really eager To share with you what I do, and I'm eager to hear what you do as well. If you're a brewer too, so I wanted to first chat about how I come up with flavors, and I have a pretty easy, short answer to this. I don't, (laughs) I don't come up with my own flavors. And okay, here's the reason why I answered this way. Uh, It'd probably be easier to kind of go back, circle Lydia, three years ago when I wasn't brewing kombucha yet, and I was buying. Usually GTs because I felt so good. Gingerberry, Mm, Trilogy, all those, delicious. Every single day, I would be drinking a bottle of kombucha. And my budget was like crying a little bit because it's a little bit more expensive. And now I know why it's priced the way that it's priced. But at the time... It was not really fitting into our budget. And so like any millennial my age does, they YouTube it. Or at least I do. <laughs> and YouTube's a great tool, by the way. Anyway, so I YouTubed and I was like, is it easy to make this stuff? And I realized that there were some steps and I thought, you know, this would be really cool to try at home. So I jumped in, bought my gallon glass jar, found a SCOBY online. I'm doing the thing. And then after I fermented the kombucha, I realized, wait a second, I waited that long and I still need to flavor it. I didn't understand that there was a fermentation number two where you would actually add in the flavorings. And so just researching all of the stuff about kombucha, I found one of my favorite books still to this day, The Big Book of Kombucha by Alex Ligori and Hannah Crum. And this book taught me how to introduce different fruits and herbs and even vegetables into the kombucha to bring about a flavor that I really enjoyed and I was having a lot of fun. What it really more taught me though too was the ratios. So getting back to the how do I come up with flavorings, lemon lavender is not something I came up with. However, it's one of my flavors that I produce. It's one of the most, to me at least, one of the most basic kombuchas that people can come up with. However. The ratios and the different types of fruit that you use, I feel like are important. And that's where you kind of get the differences in the kombucha. So if I tried your lemon lavender compared to my lemon lavender, we're going to find some differences. Also, it depends on what type of tea base that you choose, because some people are using like the green tea, black tea, where others are using oolong and white tea and poor tea. And I'm like, whoa, plus not to mention your sourcing of water and how much SCOBY you're using. And so when I'm looking at different flavorings for me, I was just trying to find something that I, one, understood and knew. Something that I really enjoyed and I really like lemon and lavender, for example. And also, what did I feel like the market was going to respond well to? I felt like the market really responded well to lavender, kind of like elderberry. I feel like the industry just really capitalizes on certain plants or herbs and tells you how good it is for your body and then everybody searches for whatever products have that in it. I feel like lavender sometimes for people gravitate towards and I thought going to a farmer's market people will stop by because of lavender and that has been proven very true by the way. I noticed that people come up, ooh, I love lavender, can I try it? And they've never tried kombucha. And then they walk away with a bottle of it. So that was a little bit of my reasoning behind how I chose my flavor, but I didn't actually come up with lemon lavender. Now, for my other two flavors, I have three total right now. I have a grapefruit rosemary, as well as a ginger brew that uses butterfly pea flower as the base tea. One of the big determining factors, if not the biggest factor for me, choosing these three flavors to stick with for a little while was because of the alcohol content that was produced using these flavor combinations. And to explain that, we know that, you know, any fermented beverage is going to contain trace amounts of alcohol. However, to be able to sell commercial kombucha, you have to stay below 0.5 alcohol by volume content. And that's even after bottling. And depending on what types of fruits that you use, if you're introducing, for example, let's say a strawberry, a blueberry, anything like that, after first fermentation, you are restarting the fermentation process again, and thus you're increasing your alcohol by volume content. and. This is where you get those beautiful bubbles. Trust me, I love the fluffy natural bubbles. I really, really do. However, that is alcohol that is producing because of the fruit that was chosen. And so although some of my favorite flavors included a strawberry or a blueberry or a raspberry, I wasn't maintaining proper consistent alcohol levels. And every time I took my kombucha to be alcohol tested... It would be a lot higher if not 1, 1.2, 1.5% and that's not legal to sell and it can be subjected to alcohol tax, which I don't want, especially as a small fish because I feel like that would just kill me. And so using citrus fruits or herbs like ginger really helped me maintain some of my lower alcohol levels and I was able to maintain a very consistent low, low alcohol by volume. So for example, my ginger brew, I get tested by the way. I go up to Madison um, every four months and get tested just to make sure that my brews are still in check. And I have my butterfly pea flower ginger brew is maintaining a 0.2 to 0.3%. My grapefruit rosemary is a little bit higher, but again, it is below that 0.5. Obviously, or else I wouldn't sell it. Now, what's really cool in the kombucha world, if you haven't heard, is that they're in the United States, at least, they are trying to pass a kombucha act, which will change that 0.5% ABV threshold to 1.25%, which would be a game changer, especially to people who are trying to produce raw and pasteurized kombucha, which is what I am doing. I'm not adding additional probiotics in. I'm not adding additional sugars in. After fermentation, I am just simply adding fruits and herbs. However, when you add in a fruit, it is a sugar and sugar gets eaten by the yeast and boom, there goes the alcohol. And so to be able to have a little bit more wiggle room, I feel like I could kind of expand on my flavors. And honestly, people have been asking me, why do you only have three flavors? And my answer to them is that I am learning and I would love to have more flavors. Like I mentioned, I am working on a fourth flavor and it's taken me quite a while because I want to make sure that I am within all of these boundaries to be able to produce legally. <laughs> As a new brewer... I know that I'm not like top of my game right now, but I feel like if I can master the three, I call them my flagship flavors, I feel that I can then learn to then be able to produce more flavors in the future. And hopefully this hibiscus elderberry rosehip flavor is a win. And I've used my past knowledge about alcohol content and just flavorings and what people are looking for. And hopefully this new flavor will work because like I said, it is a tea base. And so I'm not going to have to do a secondary flavoring at all if this one works. Oh, and one more thing on this alcohol content thing before moving on to the next topic of how I flavor, but I've been researching and I've started to try this out in several of my batches, but using extremely low acidic, super low pH kombucha starter for basically starting all of my next batches. But to have something that definitely is not drinkable kombucha, but very, very low acidic kombucha, there's a method to this and I'm blanking on it right now. But basically using that will help combat the bacteria and yeast formation and drive down the alcohol levels and keep them more consistent so that perhaps in the future I could use something like more sugary fruits when I am flavoring. So just something else that I've been looking into. If you've tried this before, I'd love to hear kind of your your experiences with that. And in the brewery that I'm at right now, I don't have as much space to have like a huge batch of this. But over time, I've seen people even have like those very large IBC tanks full of that super acidic starter. And I'd love to play around with that and see how that affects my kombucha. So anyway moving along into how i flavor now it's important to keep in mind too that at this stage of my brewing career and my production it is just me i am in a shared space and so i don't have a lot of equipment acquired quite yet but i found something that worked really well for me and i'm just eager to share with you what works and maybe use something completely different but cool i'd love to know about that but here is what's working for me and again Can't say enough how many times I've pivoted because obviously I've moved into different spaces. I'm brewing more kombucha. I started off with 16 gallons and now I'm at 77. And I'm excited to say that next month I am doubling that. I can't wait. I'll tell more about that in the future here. But right now, with the scale of where I'm at, this is what's working really well. So, in regards to where I get some of my products, right now I'm just getting all of my flavoring fruit and herbs from the grocery store or Amazon. And at first I was hesitant to share that with people because there are so many amazing brewers out there that locally gather or they have a farmer nearby that they go collect from. And that is eventually where I want to go. That's something that I aspire to do and I can't wait to use seasonal products. But right now, as I mentioned before, I'm a little nervous with still trying to be consistent with alcohol levels and my budget right now, Just I, I can't afford organic supplies in bulk from local farmers. Which excitedly enough, little sidebar, I was introduced from a customer at the farmer's market, which man, this community is amazing. Uh, But basically, she introduced me to this organic farm nearby that would like to partner with me and help me next spring by providing some local fruits and herbs and even hops for my brews. And I couldn't be more excited. Plus, this farm actually practices education and so they want to basically educate the community on food that is grown from the earth. Like win-win. I cannot wait to partner more with them and I'll share more about them in the future. So right now I go to the grocery store and I buy all organic lemons, grapefruit, ginger, and then I order off of Amazon my lavender and my tea. And that's just kind of where I'm at. Oh, and I get my rosemary from the grocery store as well. You know, you got to start somewhere. You know, and the fact that you even started something is huge. And I know that I have a goal towards using more local, sustainable, organic products is coming. Um, But I'm really proud of where I'm at right now and the products that I've created. I'm really confident in them, but it's okay to start here and then move to the next spot, you know. So I know I'm going to continue to improve, but I got to be happy with where I'm at. So I bring all of that to the brewery and I only buy for the week that I am brewing for. And so I don't like freeze my lemons or my grapefruit. I go the day of, if not a day or so before I'm going to brew all of those batches. And those employees at the grocery store know me on a first name basis. I always get there like super early in the morning and my cart is like loaded up with so many citrus fruits and the amount of apple cider vinegar bottles that I have For my shrubs, it's just full and everyone's always there super early in the morning at the grocery store restocking and they're like, there she is again. (laughs) I've had a couple people actually reach out like, what's that for? (laughs) But it's been a really cool opportunity to tell them about the business and things like that. And I've been wearing some of my t-shirts, which I don't have merch yet. I will have merch eventually, but I've had some pretty awesome people in my life create products with my name on them. So it's just fun to kind of share that at the grocery store. But anywho, when I get into the brewery, I actually hand juice all of my citrus and it takes a little while, but I have a little like hand juicer and this is again something that I bought on Amazon it holds up to 2 cups at a time and what I do is I won't tell you the exact ratio that I use for the grapefruit versus the lemons and things like that I don't feel like people really want to know because my batch size is very different than probably yours but let's just say that I have a lot that I juice and what I do to strain out the pulp is I use a brew bag which you can find those on Amazon as well. They're like brew bucket bags, essentially. And then I use a strainer that you would find just in a normal kitchen, like a mesh strainer. And I put that over a pitcher. So it goes through essentially like two filters and it really gets out all of the pulp. And so by the time I put it into my next vessel, which I'll explain here in a minute, it's just the liquid juice. So yeah, so I hand juice all of that. As for the ginger this is one thing that I've pivoted. I buy whole ginger root and I choose not to juice the ginger. Some people juice ginger and that takes a little while and that works for their product. I actually just cut it into very small chunks and I add it in to my vessel and I originally had peeled the the organic ginger and that was something that I absolutely loathed. Like Oh, that was probably on the top of my list of things that I just really would not look forward to doing in the brewery every day, which just takes so long going around each little knob of the ginger because they're all so different shaped and I feel like I was wasting a lot and oh my goodness, by the time I did that and I had to cut it into pieces, it just took almost 45 minutes to an hour just to get the amount I was using and it was just, oh, it was awful. I was talking to a fellow brewer and she was like, yeah, if it's organic and you wash it and you smell it and you know it tastes good, go ahead and add it in and you don't have to peel it. You're fine. You'll still get the same flavor profile. I'm like, what? (laughs) You're telling me that I didn't have to peel it? And so I started not peeling it and I have not noticed any difference and I'm really pleased with it. I couldn't be any more pleased with it, honestly, because it saved me close to almost an hour in the brewery, so I cut it into very small chunks, and what I feel like that helps me with by cutting it into smaller pieces is that when I add it into the vessel to flavor, the surface area gets covered more with ginger chunks, and I just feel like the depth of the flavor changes, and is that much more gingery. Is that a word? Gingery? I think it is. Yeah which let's talk about the vessels that I use to put all the flavoring and kombucha into, which this has completely evolved over time, especially as I've researched and learned some things that would be easier and maybe a little bit better for what I'm trying to achieve. So when I had first started out commercial brewing and I was at the country club, that was the first uh, place that said yes to me, essentially. And where I started brewing out of, I was putting all of the flavoring, so the juices and the ginger and the rosemary, all into five gallon plastic food grade buckets. Now, little sidebar, I know that there is some controversy around using plastic and kombucha and the acid and everything around that I'm going to let you make your own opinion on that and just know that everyone has different practices and I respect what you do. And so that's where I started off with and I'm still really pleased and happy with the product that I produced. And so I initially had used five gallon buckets. These buckets I would put into the refrigerator with a tight seal, so a lid, and I would let those sit for three to four days. The reasoning behind why I put all of the kombucha into the refrigerator right after flavoring is to drop all of the yeast to the bottom of the bucket, which I feel like tremendously helped with my alcohol content. And with that tight seal, you're not reintroducing fermentation again. And so it really, I feel like, has helped me maintain my consistency with the alcohol levels. So I I put those into the refrigerator for three to four days. And then after that, I would filter them into a keg a cornelius keg to be exact (laughs) and okay just to be quite honest i'm a super small person five gallons and lifting that is really difficult for me because what i would do is i would take that bucket and i would dump it very slowly into the keg and so what i did instead of just lifting up five gallons and slopping it everywhere because i found out the hard way that i won't ever be able to do that I actually split up the liquid two and a half and two and a half into each bucket. So if I was doing a one- five-gallon batch, I put two and a half gallons of kombucha and the flavoring into one bucket. And then in another bucket, there would be two and a half more gallons. And that was strictly because of how much I could lift. Now, was it double the amount of buckets? Yes. Was it double the amount of space? Yes. But it was way more manageable for me to be able to lift two and a half gallons and safely pour that into the small, tiny hole opening of the Cornelius keg. Which, by the way, what I did was when I started pouring it, I still used that brew bag that I put over the top of the head of the Cornelius keg as well as the fine mesh strainer. And so when I started pouring it, when I got to the bottom of the bucket, you would see a lot more of the yeast. It'd be darker. It'd be cloudier. And I would not pour that all into the keg. I would reserve like 5% of it and toss it because all of that extra cloudy yeasty stuff – really did not help me keep my consistent alcohol levels. So I would toss that. Anyway, so Buckets is what I used for probably five, almost six months that I was brewing, especially solely when I was at my first location. I shared that within the last, oh man, it's been three months, but three months ago, I moved into a beer brewery and it's been an amazing experience so far. But when I moved in there, I almost felt a level of, I don't know, Like, I gotta level up. You know, I gotta figure out different practices. I wanna look like the big guys, you know? And they have all those amazing pieces of equipment. I know I'm not using it, but eventually I will. It's a great environment to be in. And they're not judging me whatsoever. They were super cool about my buckets. But looking at the space that I had and the cooler space that was designated to me, it was a little bit smaller. And so I needed to kind of get creative with the space that I had. And someone had mentioned to me, they're like, why don't you just flavor inside of the keg? And I'm like, huh, how would you do that though? Like how would you actually let it flavor inside of the keg and all the yeast dropping and all of that stuff? And I researched, of course, on YouTube and online and different forums. And I follow a lot of like Facebook groups. So that's been really helpful as well. And I've, just been asking a lot of people and the method that I now use and that has been really working well for me is I've used those brew bags and I now put all of my flavorings into those brew bags and then I put them into my kegs and so obviously I can't put citrus juice into a brew bag but what I do is I strain it directly into the keg now and then I add in my rosemary in a brew bag And I remove the oxygen from the top of the keg. So, of course, it's filled with kombucha as well. And I take out the rest of the oxygen and I seal it with CO2 so that prevents any further fermentation from happening. And I put those into the cooler and I let those sit for three to four days. And then I remove the bag and then I carbonate it. But what's really cool about having it in a keg, one is the the space that I've been able to save, that's been fantastic. And second, I feel like I'm getting a true yield when I go to bottle because um, I haven't lost as much liquid. What I do is, which by the way, I do uh, bottle directly from my keg. I can explain that if you're more interested, you can email me if you'd like. That's totally cool. But what I do is I just take the first one, maybe one and a half bottles, from the keg because it's from the bottom and I dump those um, because they are the most yeasty, it has the most sediment because all of it has dropped to the bottom and then I can bottle the rest and it goes from there. So it's been really, really nice for me. And I'm really happy with my finished product when I flavor in that way. So I appreciate you guys listening to my process and I'm sure that it will continue to evolve, especially as I get more equipment, more demand, more people that might be able to help me. But right now this is a great method for me and hopefully that helped you, it interested you. I'd love if you'd take the time to reach out to me and message me and tell me why you listen to the podcast and just who you are and introduce yourself. I've gotten so many amazing people that have reached out so far that have just been fellow entrepreneurs to fellow brewers and teachers. And it's just been really awesome to connect with you here on this platform. So again, my email is livingfullkombucha at gmail.com. Or you can follow us. I say us because I am becoming a we. You are part of that we mission. You can follow us on social media at Kombucha. We're on Instagram and Facebook. And in the meantime, be well and cheers.